Welcome to Movie Maniacs. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters and streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. Folks, welcome to another edition of Movie Maniacs. Uh, my name is Chuck Curry alongside my co-host on this week's uh, program, Kenny B., we're currently uh, broadcasting on our podcast. Also, this is going out to WWO WoWo, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and also Cool 98.5 WXPM in Phoenixville. And this week, Kathy Bates is on vacation, so we have Mike Raz in a uh, in a garage in Wilmington. Uh, Mr. Biden is watching over him. Okay, very good. I'm glad he's in. Uh, <laughs> good com- I'm glad he's in good company. Pleasure to have you back on the. Uh, program another week at the movies first of all i want to say how you doing ken and how was your week so far my week's been great so far and uh um, i hope it's only getting better because i'm heading back to pennsylvania and i hope to see mr chuck in person for next week's show very good look forward to that uh very much on the program this week we're going to revisit we've done this before me and mike but we're going to revisit and get ken's opinion give my re uh, revamped opinion on our top 10 favorite post-apocalyptic or end-of-the-world movies to coincide with the HBO streaming release of the new TV show The Last of Us, which is a end-of-the-world virus zombie type show based on a video game, which has gotten some great reviews. I got a chance to see it, uh, watch it uh, on stream, HBO Max, last night. I'll tell you what I think about it in a minute but first let's talk about some of the state of the uh state of movies in general in the box office uh a lot of good glimmers of hope can coming through uh the dark period of the last two and a half years at the box office beside avatar way of water which is now up to 564 million domestically in five weeks and 1.9 billion this movie megan which is a uh sci-fi horror movie which is basically rated pg very entertaining film which i think audiences are going to eat up has done 59 million in 10 days of release that's a good number i just read which sort of perplexed me but it sort of is what it is that uh bloomhouse universal signed a deal to have a 17-day window, meaning 17 days from the day this movie was released, meaning seven more, uh, this movie will go on pay-per-view. So it'll be in theaters and also you have the ability to watch it at home. I hate the idea. This movie's going to do well over $100 million domestically. No reason for it. They need to get away from that and go back to a simple 45-day window minimum, nothing less than that. Puss in Boots, $107 million in four weeks of release. That's a solid number. And here's one big glimmer of hope for the adult-oriented movie uh Go where a more art house uh, crowd. A Man Called Otto with Tom Hanks uh, expanded this weekend. Blue Pass tracking did around 15 million in four days. Uh, Martin Luther King weekend. That is the best. I think this is the best adult-oriented uh, opening for a, for a film, a four-day weekend in a very long time. So it appears more people are starting to go to the movies around the edges beside just the massive popcorn movie. And ultimately, that's what we're going to need to get back on track. The Whale, Darren Aronofsky's Whale, which has gotten great notices for uh, Brendan Fraser, which, who just picked up a Critics' Choice Award for Best Actor on Sunday night. Uh, the film's done about $12 million in, I think, 
four or five weeks of limited release. I think it's playing on like 660, actually a little bit more. They went into a more of an expansion. Will this movie catch traction, get some legs going forward? Uh, I think we have about a week before the Oscars are announced. So hopefully it uh, will. So well, a couple other box office news of interest. Uh, I just read that Paramount's going to re-release Titanic back in the theaters for its 25th anniversary on February 10th. That will be a wide release, 4K and IMAX screens. I think it might even be some 3D release of that film. But uh, if you haven't seen Titanic in a movie theater, here's your opportunity. I think it's the best film released since 1997. And then February 17th, all roads point to Marvel's Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Uh, This is going to be a big release uh from what i read it's going to be a lot of surprises in this film it's going to be big uh in terms of its scope bigger than the first two ant-man movies so uh we got to move forward ken you have any thoughts on this yeah a couple a couple of things uh, that you talked about one i i, I did find it interesting that uh, titanic's can be re-released as a uh, valentine's movie because as i said a few weeks ago i'm not sure magic mike really cuts it as a Valentine's movie. Although, now that I know that Selma Hayek is in it, I'll go see it, but that's different. But I, I think uh, we might see some pretty good numbers out of Titanic simply because it's a Valentine's movie. Uh, yeah. What's not, what's know, not what, the end doesn't end very happy, but, but I do think Magic Mike's going to do well. And, I, do, I really do. Yeah, let's not let them know uh, that the ship sinks because that'll ruin it for everybody. No. Uh, the other thing is... That'll be, that'll be a surprise. Yes, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you on the 17-day window. And that is, I I think that actually that might be the perfect uh, place for them. Uh, Because my my guess is in those four weeks between 17 and uh, 45, most movies don't do all that well. Even even, uh, Avatar has had quite a fall off after the first three weeks. And if I'm a streaming entity, I want to be able to, I want to be able to show that movie streaming while it's still hot. And I think what you're going to find is they're going to find what the perfect the perfect uh, point is to switch from exclusively in movies to being on stream. And my guess is it's something less than 45, because by the time you've been out there almost seven weeks, people have gotten tired of the movie. Uh, it's lost a lot of its buzz. And I don't think the theaters, other than the really big supernova movie, I don't think they lose that much that they only have exclusivity for two and a half weeks. Here's my counter argument to that. And what you say is a lot of validity. Okay. But let's just say hypothetically, let's go to the psychology of the, of the, the, the patron who either goes to the movies or watches the film at home. And then I want to bring up a subject or quote by James Cameron who made on social media this week. If I know, see, I didn't know when I saw Megan, it was a 17 day window. I read that after the fact, even though I would have go to the theater anyway, because I was hyped to see that movie. But let's just say people know, okay, Megan, I want to see this movie. I like the trailers. Nice hook. Can't wait to see it. And they go, oh, but in 17 days, I could watch this, but pay 19.99 because that's a pay, pay-per-view. It won't be released on a pure streaming service. Okay. So I could say 17 days is not too long. It's two weeks and three days. Uh, my life, my, you know, nothing major in my life's going to happen. It's not that long a wait. So I say, okay, I won't go to the movies and I'll wait for 17 days. So how much of an erosion of people who might've went to the movies if it was a 45 day or let's say, yeah, let's backtrack here. Years ago, it used to be a six month window. 
before it hit DVD. So even if it was out of theaters, it just stayed dormant. Then it went to DVD, and then it, and HBO, to go on HBO, to go on basic, to go on a cable, not basic, paid cable was one year at one time. So theater, DVD, Blu-ray, and then cable. So cable was a year. Blu-ray, DVD was six months. It was in the theater for a few months at least. Then it would go a little dormant. Then it would go Blu-ray, DVD. Now you're talking marketing campaign for Megan in theaters, big opening weekend, 30 million for a $12 million movie. That is a very good opening weekend. Weekend number two, very well, good legs. Only seven days to the ability to watch it on pay-per-view. So the psychology is a little different than it used to be. I get your point, but my point is how many people will just wait the 17 days? There's got to be a percentage there. Well, yeah, a couple things to that. One is that the the beauty of 17 days, we all know why it's 17 and not 14, is we're saying theaters, we're giving you three weekends. Yes, correct. Uh, because, Because let's face it. Weekends are the only things that count for most movies. Uh, second second yeah. thing is that, yeah, you, the movie theater, yeah, you, maybe some people would have gone to see it, but I just did a Venn diagram, and I don't think the intersecting set between people who watch in the movies and people who will pay to stream it online, I don't think that intersection is that big. Maybe 10% of the audience will will say, okay, I can do it either or, but I think, uh-huh. that, I think that they're pretty much non-intersecting sets. And the third thing is, I don't really care about you. I'm in the business of maximizing my profit. I get it. I get it. Uh, I, but, but... Again, Have a bingo but, night in your theater, you know? Yeah. I, I, I know what you're saying. Having said that, again, we're going to see long-term, is this going to be sustainable and healthy for uh, the multiplex in the, in the, in the smaller theater? Owners. Now, I just want to point out this week, I'm paraphrasing now, James Cameron uh, released a statement on social media and he said, the time has come for people to go back to the movies. Enough with this streaming stuff. Basically said, get off your ass and go to a theater and envelop yourself and commit yourself with a collective audience for two to three hours. Not go basically, not, not, not play with your cell phone, not go to the refrigerator. Uh, not relax on the couch, invest in three hours inside a theater. I couldn't agree more. I have, I have some mixed feelings on James Cameron. I do think he's a brilliant filmmaker, but uh, I wish he would have did more movies beside Avatar. Yeah, but I, uh, I think I think you actually said it better than James Cameron did, because James Cameron actually yeah. said that he wanted to get off his ass, uh, and, okay. and, and indicating that, oh, he yeah. wanted to make more movies, and... Yeah. Uh, my uh, my buddy Steven Spielberg uh, gave him a call and said, "Hey Jim, guess what? You can make movies direct for streaming." So that's one. The one thing about his his quote that was stupid was, "Why isn't yeah. he like these other guys that got smart and they're making their movies direct for the streaming services?" Yeah, here's the thing. I, I, I tell you what I love about this is mm-hmm. what I and for people who want to know my my mindset, there's things I love about streaming. I love the fact you could binge watch uh, older shows. Like I love ER. I've, I've rewatched ER. You could rewatch the Sopranos or any. You know, we could go back and you know, you could rewatch uh, shows like Good Times or or Welcome Back, Cotter. You could watch. You know, people who didn't grow up in that in that time period. You can go back and watch that stuff. You could watch new shows that are streamed. I think I think the excitement and the buzz off the show The Last of Us on HBO is super cool. I think it's eight episodes, first season. I watched the first episode. Uh, 
I got to tell you, I liked it. The first half hour, I dug, super dug. Second half hour, which flash forwards 20 years, felt like a little bit of a different show. But overall, this is a show that I'm definitely going to watch. Okay. It had the largest uh, rating for HBO in over 10 years, 4.6 million. Now, uh, that is a good opening because substantially, these shows will will grow quickly in viewership with, with the repeatability, the buzz. Uh, most likely, this show will be having 15, 20 million people a week watching it. Uh, the Last of Us. Uh, I, I thought it was. It's basically it's it's a uh, end of the world show uh, about a, f- a f- fungus like uh, outbreak that uh, that turns into a virus that m- turns people uh, into like zomb into like zombies uh, and and it, and. It, the first half hour, the setup is based on a video game, which I'm not familiar with really with video games, but it was very well done. And the second half hour, flash forwards 20 years, Pedro Pascal, who's in The Mandalorian, who is the villain in Wonder Woman 1984, is the lead. He's good. Now, I've been reading online. The reviews are really good, like 96% positive on Rotten Tomatoes and a lot of people on social media raving. Here, and, and some people are saying, oh, this is what The Walking Dead should have been. I am so tired of people knocking on my all-time favorite show. <laughs> This show is good, Ken. This show is good. It's not. This pilot is not uh, as good as the pilot in 2006 of The Walking Dead. Simply good. Pedro Pascal is good, but Andrew Lincoln is amazing as Rick Grimes in The Walking Dead. And The, Rick, the Walking Dead, uh, what's and all, uh, throughout his uh, 10 year run, uh, to, to a 12 year run, actually, to me, is an iconic show. Iconic. First five or six years are brilliant. It has some hiccups along the way, but overall, uh, very few, few shows ever going to have a character like Andrew Lincoln's Rick Grimes. I love that. But I did like The Last of Us. Having said that, my point is I get excited about TV, new TV shows that stream. I love it. I think that's what streaming was meant for. I don't get excited about $200 million movies like The Gray Man, which premiered on Netflix, uh, that nobody will remember. I don't see it as that, but I do see it as streaming TV. Yeah, I, 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 I think it works beautifully. Like, I, I think way. you're right. And one thing Netflix has gotten very, they've gotten much better at is it used to be they would drop a new season and you would see it was up there. Now they're, now they're putting up in their little when you first uh, log on, they're telling you coming Thursday is the new season of to get you ready. And the great thing about Netflix is it's been a, it's been a while since the first season of Vikings Valhalla. So, you know, it's dropping on Thursday. You go and you yeah. watch a couple of episodes and uh, you know catch up. Uh, Sexify. If you have never seen Sexify, it is the funniest Polish TV show you're ever going to see about a girl that her college uh, her, her um, project in, in this technical composi- competition is uh-huh. coming up with a uh, an app for enhancing female sexual pleasure, but it is it is an absolutely delightful show. It's season two just came. I saw season four of Fada is coming. Yeah, and that's what I, I love about streaming. The you know with with uh, things like Dallas or you know think of other ones that were serial shows. When the new season started, it would have been months since you saw the last show, and you would forget yeah. things. With with streaming, you can go back. Okay, I'm going to watch the last the last episode. I always do that when the new ser- season's coming out, just to catch up on where things ended. Well, I got a, I got a question for you. You remember a thing called TV Guide, right? Uh, okay. yes, I do. All right, all right. Now, how excited? I'm talking about 25, 30 years ago. How excited would you or people be? myself included, 
to get that full preview edition of TV Guide, knowing what was coming back, what was what was new, the hype on the hype on this stuff. Uh, you know, I don't know. It just I, I actually remember when September was was a very exciting time on television. Uh, is this a very different landscape? You always you always uh, kept yeah you always kept the uh, new season edition and the thing I loved about TV Guide during the season because okay I didn't really care what the plot of this week's mash was going to be but it told yeah. me what the late movies were going to be on my local television so that's right. when I, I knew when something was coming on that I like to watch and I'm sitting uh-huh. here looking at my bookshelf here in yeah. my office and there's a TV yeah. Guide that has that's cool it's who's probably on the th- cover? it's probably who's on the co- on the cover? I don't, it, it was actually a 30 year ago edition. It was their top 100 TV shows of all time. Okay. So it's okay. a composite cover, but I'll always yeah. keep that because it's a great reference guide. Yes. Yeah, so oh, I completely agree. Let's now speaking of TV, let's do some, uh, this week in TV history, jog your memory. Give me your thoughts. January 18th, 1974. Boy, hard to believe it goes this far back. $6 million man starring Lee majors premieres, on ABC, uh, I love that show, and I love that show in syndication. That, that was a really cool show. You have thoughts on that? Uh, yes, I, I I also love the show, and you know that created one of those television power couples of him and Farrah Fawcett. Uh, he went up marrying Farrah Fawcett Majors. Wasn't that the, the well? The bionic woman was Lindsay Wagner. Lindsay Wagner, right? yeah. L- 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 Lindsay Wagner, and then her show was also uh, pr- pretty popular. But they used to have those cliffhanger episodes. With the six million dollar man that I remembered, same night, January 18, nineteen seventy four, all the family spinoff, The Jeffersons, uh, Sherman Hemsley airs on CBS. That was a pretty good. Uh, that was a pretty good biting sitcom. He was awesome on that show, uh, uh, Hemsley. I, I thought he was really good. I, I thought so too. I was kind of disappointed. You know, Mike Evans quit it because he didn't like the. Uh some of the uh, roles that, you know, some of the roles that Lionel had to take on. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Jeffersons, especially with an interracial couple. No, they, I mean, they did an amazing job with that. Yeah. I mean, that, was, that was some of the best humor you'll, you'll, you'll ever see on a, on a sitcom. That, that's, that's when, that was, listen, let me just, let's just prefacize, Ken. That was pre-woke, right? Yes. And pre-woke, you could go really edgy. And you could go really funny. And that dialogue and that thought-provoking uh, comedic uh, stuff on the Jeffersons was really good. Yeah, the funny, an interesting one. Yeah. The, yeah, the funny thing is I had a, a therapist once who was... You the, did? Just the, once? Just once. Well, this, I've had several. But this guy was the spitting okay. image of Sherman Hensley in Helmsley. <laughs> and, and, and he even walked like him. And I, I was always you know, uh, thinking to myself, I'm going to start calling him Wheezy, you know? Yeah. Here's a good one. January 2nd, 1988, on the CW, Kevin Williamson writes a, uh, a, a script for a show that became a pilot and a successful uh, genre show. Dawson's Creek premieres January 2nd, 1988. Now think about this cast, how well it's still doing. James Vanderbeek, he played Dawson. Katie Holmes, Joshua Jackson, who's going to be the star of Paramount Plus's Fatal Attraction. Uh, reboot TV show, which I actually am looking forward to. Uh, he's had a really good run. And then Michelle Williams, who's won two Oscars and he gets every other plum role in Hollywood, currently in The Fablemans. And, that is a tremendous cast of talent. Yeah, and, 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 Bus- and Busy Phillips. And, 
Dizzy Phillips. I, I have to yes. tell you, I, I, I watched uh, the uh, Dawson's Creek every Monday night with my daughter. It was a, it was, it was a uh, tradition. I agree. Very good show. Uh, great theme. In the realm of, great. Uh, it, it, rode, it rode the heels. It's a little bit different than Beverly Hills 90210. And then there was the OC on Fox, which I was a big fan of, which you can currently stream on, I believe, on HBO Max. But I really did like Dawson's Creek. And I had a cat who just passed away recently, 17 years old, who was named Dawson, named after James Beek. I just wanted that pointed out, Ken. All right. And, and you know, the thing, I also had a great theme song, I Don't Want to Wait. So yes. it was, a, it was I, I really enjoyed that show. Very good show. January 20th, 2008, Breaking Bad premieres on AMC. Um, no doubt groundbreaking stuff. I, you know, I didn't watch Breaking Bad until its last season. I binge-watched every season leading up to the last season. Did the same thing with Dexter. Uh, two great uh, two great programs. Uh, what else do we got? Uh, birthday of Interest. January 18th, 1955. Kevin Costner turned 68 years old this week. Uh, my two favorite Costner films, I'd have to say Field of Dreams and The Untouchables, but he's had a great career. Bull Durham currently, obviously, riding the waves of great TV success on Yellowstone. Uh, took chances in his career. Waterworld, The Postman, uh, got critical acclaim for Dances with Wolves, uh, was Jonathan Kent in The Man of Steel. He's uh, The Bodyguard was the huge hit. I admire Kevin Costner, Kevin Costner a lot. I think he's a movie star. He's a TV star. Uh, seems like a good guy, and I'm a big fan. Yeah, I just realized um, about a week ago that I have Peacock. So I, okay. So I am now uh, partly into the second season of Yellowstone. What do you think? Uh, I, 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 you know, it's it's a combination of Dallas and yes. a true Western. Uh, yes. thing, thing I really like about it is, is I love the female roles in it. But you got his daughter, who is the most badass character you're ever going to find anywhere. I mean, she's yeah, ruthless. And the yeah. the two Native American women are very strong characters. Uh, uh, you know, one is the uh, you know the wife of his son, and then the other one is only on for like four episodes in season two. But she she's a cowgirl, and it's uh, yes. and and then you got she's Jimmy. Awesome on that show. Yeah, and you got Jimmy. Jimmy is Jimmy's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, I get your opinion on this. This day in. Uh Birthdays in history, uh, January 18th, uh, 1904, he passed away in 1986. Cary Grant was born in 1904. I guess that would, that would make him, if he was alive, uh, 118 years old. Am I right with my math? Yeah, yeah. So wow. he'd, he'd really be old if he was alive. Northwest, one of my all-time favorite films. What do you think of Cary Grant? Well, you know, he's, it's that whole uh, group of, uh, you know, Cary Grant, Gregory... Uh, Peck, uh, Rock Hudson, the people, Gregory Rock Peck, I think is what Ginger said on uh, Gilligan's Island the one time. But you, these guys, these these men's men's, these leading men that we just don't have anymore. No, I mean, he, uh, he, he was definitely, he was what you called an iconic movie star in his time. Got all the prom roles, picked anything he wanted in the industry. Here's another one. Uh, I think this, this is an interesting topic for discussion. Born on January 20th, 1896. He passed away in 1996. And I mentioned him because I thought he would never pass. And his name was George Burns, uh, an iconic talent. Um, 
Oh God, I remember that movie. Uh, how enjoyable that film was! I thought he was perfectly cast. Is is God opposite uh, George Burns? The Sunshine Boys with Walter Matthau, and one of the great uh, guests of all time on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. I was going to was going to George Burns. I was going to mention that ex- exactly that, and uh, of course, uh, George and Gracie with their their show. He was he was unique. He was a unique talent. Very unique, and I, I say to myself, like, people people like people like people like him. Uh, I guess, listen, I, I think he would do very well in 2023, but there's a place and time for certain people, and I think the time period where George Burns lived was 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 perfect. And, you know, in my mind's eye, there's always been great guests on, on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, Rodney Dangerfield uh, would always come to mind, Dean Martin, uh, when, when he was on, on, the, on the show. But George Burns was another iconic guest on the uh, – tonight's show i got one bit in movie news here i get your opinion on uh on the heels of the roadhouse remake over at uh, amazon which are currently filming with jake gyllenhaal i just read in an interview to chatham taining who's promoting magic mike the last dance which hits uh, theaters on february 10th says in an interview that his production company which is free associates has acquired the rights to uh, do a remake of the Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore romantic uh, comedy, not comedy, romantic classic Ghost, which was a huge hit back in 1990. Why did they want to remake these Patrick Swayze movies, Ken? I just hit my head off of the desk when you said that because I, I don't see, it was just it was just the perfect thing that was done. But I got I to gotta just call you out on one thing. How in the name of God... Did you yeah. do birthdays this week and not mention Miss Betty White? Oh, yeah. All right, let's talk about <laughs> Betty White, who, who obviously passed away last year. We did, me and Mike did such a – we did a whole show on Betty White last year. Maybe that's why. But I know you're a big fan. I, I, just, I just hope the people who last year – because we, we had the biggest day ever of giving to animal charities. And I know a lot of people missed January 17th. And all I want to say is, hey, folks – it's not too late to honor Betty this year. Write out a check, make a contribution to your local no-kill shelter. That is what Betty would want. Uh, good point. Now, on this week's program, we're going to do a top uh, a top 10 list. And we're going to rem- reminisce, uh, and, and, and Ken, this is more fresh for you, but we're going to do our top 10 favorite end of the world, uh, post-apocalyptic films. I think it's a really good subject because this is one of my favorite Genres is so many different ones to choose from. Right off the bat, I want to say uh, I didn't. Not, I, I taught, Planet Apes is not on my list because I didn't. I, I don't look at it uh, completely as an end of the world. I look at the end of the world more like I watch the end of the world happen. Uh, so I, I didn't put Planet Apes on my list. Maybe it's on yours. So when I do this list, and people say, "Well, how could he not have Planet Apes?" Uh, obviously, it's one of the greatest movies of all time. I love that that franchise over, overall, especially the first five in that franchise first four i love but uh just very special that franchise the initial original franchise for me so we'll do our 10 through 6 you can go first ken and then we'll do a five through one a little bit more detail but we have some time so take your time on this list what's your 10 through 6 okay and, end of the world and i would say planet of the apes could qualify as a post-apocalyptic one it because could, the apocalypse does not have to be a nuclear war it can be man fighting apes or whatever and, and there's one I didn't put on my list because it's only it's still going on. But again, I, I think it's going to be up there if they keep this, the franchise going for a few more seasons. That is Into the Night slash um, 
S245, the um, one about the sun changing its polarity and sunlight wiping out people on Earth, people in into the night, you know, flying in the plane to, to um, beat the sun. And the uh, S245 is a submarine, a Belgian series and a Turkish series that are integrated, but and they, they don't play at the same time, but they they continue the story of each other. That one will be up there in the future. But my number 10, and I'm not I'm not a big Mad Max and people things like that. I'm not big into the post-apocalyptic. Uh, my number one, and you know me, I like the more entertaining stuff. So I'm going to start with Kieran Knightley and Steve Carell uh, from 2012, The End of the World Romantic Comedy. There is such a thing, folks. And that's yes. seeking a friend for the end of the world. Because let's okay. face it, if we knew the world was ending... Those of us who are single would probably all be on Tinder to hook up because what better way to, you know, go through the end of the world, right? So that's my number 10. That's a good, okay, your number nine? My number nine, okay, this one is post-apocalyptic, but I like any story about a man and a dog, and it is Will Smith, and it's I Am Legend from 2007. I thought it was a pretty good movie. I think it's a very good movie. Uh, I'll talk about that more later. It's not on my list. Another one uh, from that novel uh, is, is on my list. But I got to tell you, I Am Legend, for me, the first half of that movie is brilliant. The set design, uh, his performance is awesome. And the movie, the, the, the problem I have with that film, and Mike has the same problem, is that in the second half when the CGI kicks in, it just, the CGI is not that well done. They should have went practical effects and it, the movie would have been great instead. It's still very good. I like it. Uh, what's your number eight? Okay, you're not going to find on my list, uh, you're not going to find uh, uh, any of the Walking Dead or anything like that. Why not? Uh, because I don't like those kind of movies. They scare me. But okay. I love from 2004, the movie that made zombies fun again, Shaun of the Dead. And just just a great spoof on the zombie movies. I, I, I agree. It's not in my top 10, but uh, that's one of the few films that, can, that took a comedic uh, mindset with the zombie genre. Having said that, the zombie stuff's really good. Uh, that movie plays beautifully. It's highly entertaining. It's very popular, and that's uh, a good pick. Okay, I'm going to stick with funny zombies, or at least funny actors. Uh, I love the scenes in Vegas. I love really all the scenes. And you know what? I like any movie with uh, Emma Stone. Jesse Eisenberg is great, but it's got Woody Har- Harrelson. And Woody Harrelson fighting zombies. What could be better? 2009's Zombieland. It's a really good movie. Uh, I, I'm, I was highly entertained when I saw it in in theaters. The sequel's pretty decent. Also, good, that's a really good, uh, really good cast, and that movie made a lot of money. It did. It did. It did. Now, my next one, we don't actually see the apocalypse, but we know it's coming because Slim Pickens is riding that missile, uh, <laughs> the, the nuclear missile. Of course, it's um, Peter Sellers, George C. Scott, and Slim Pickens. Stanley Kubrick, 1964, Doctor Strangelove, blah, 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 and how I came to love the bomb. Just coming coming a year after the Cuban Missile Crisis, to have a comedic farce about nuclear Armageddon. Only Stanley Kubrick could have done that. Listen, uh, it's a really good movie. 
really good movie. I, I still think Stanley Kubrick's one of the most interesting filmmakers who ever lived. Put, lived, put, put so much thought and time. And he was a, a mad genius who delivered always memorable product. Good pick. Those are my first five. Okay, here I go. My number 10, when I was a kid, I used to love this movie when it came on TV. Saturday mornings. When this movie came on, I sat in my front of my TV and loved every second of it. It was called Day of the Triffids. It was released in 1951. Uh, Howard Keel, uh, who wound up pl- playing, uh, wound up being on the TV show Dallas later on uh, as Miss Ellie's uh, new, new husband after Jock uh, died. I love Day of the Triffids about a uh, about a uh, a, co- a comet that uh, that that. That blinds that blinds ninety nine percent of the population. Howard Keel plays a character who's in the hospital getting eye surgery, so his 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 eyes are bandaged. He's not he's obviously doesn't get uh, blinded. There's a scene in the beginning with him and a little girl. Um, her name is Nicole Murray. Uh, he rescues her at a train station. It's extremely well done. This was movie was financed by English money. It was a British release. He's super good as the lead. It's a very thought-provoking movie. It's a B-movie, an effective one. It's well done. It's based on a novel. And uh, I'm a big fan. And it brings back a really cool childhood memory for me. So Day of the Triffids is my number 10. Number 9 is a movie released in 1988 by a director named Steve Drenat. Now, I remember why. It's called Miracle Mile. And I'm a big fan. It stars Anthony Edwards as a guy that picks up a ringing payphone at 3 o'clock in the morning in... Los Angeles. He just meets a girl uh, played by Mayor Winningham, who, believe it or not, Ken, is now the real life wife of Anthony Edwards. All right. And and he he picks up this phone and there's a guy at the other end of the phone and he says to him that there's a nuclear arsenal uh, that has just been launch that will hit Los Angeles, I think in a couple hours. And he doesn't know whether the story is true or not. And he makes the assumption that it might be true. And he has to rescue this girl who overslept in her apartment. And it's a chase through uh, Los Angeles. And it's a really nifty movie. This guy, Steve Jurabont, who, who did the movie, only did a couple movies. He did Strange Brew with John Candy and a movie called Sherry, uh, Cherry 2000 with Melanie Griffith. Released, uh, he directed a handful of TV episodes like ER and X-Files. He did a really nice job on this movie. I remember seeing the poster and the tagline was, be prepared to get blown through the back of the theater. And I love this movie. I have it on Blu-ray. I, I watch it on streaming. For people who have not seen it, Miracle Mile 88. Anthony Edwards, who is on ER, is one of my favorites. He's pretty damn good in this movie. So, good movie. Number eight, Night of the Comet from 1984. Catherine Mary Stewart, Kelly Maroney. I'm going to tell you a story, Ken. When this movie came out in the summer of 1984, I went to the movies to see a movie called Hard Bodies, which was one of those teen TNA movies. Okay? Little did I know that they were screening a double feature, and I had no idea what the second bill would be. So after I watch Hard Bodies, I'm like, okay, what's the next movie? And up on the screen pops Night of the Comet. I had no idea what I was seeing. Now, this is an end-of-the-world movie. It's a low-budget B-movie about a comet that turns people into dust, and there's only a handful of survivors, two Valley Girls played by uh, Catherine Mira Stewart and Kelly Maroney, and it, it, it mixes a few different genres, and 
it has good set design, two excellent league performances that are a ton of fun. And this is one of my all-time favorite B-movies. Uh, and when I watch this movie, and I told this to Catherine when I interviewed her when we screened Night of the Comet in revivals, I said, when I saw this movie, this is true, I said, there's only been a handful of people that I saw for the first time. This is the first time I ever see Catherine Ramirez do it. And I saw her in the big screen and I said, one, this woman's beautiful. Two, she's super appealing. And three, she should have a nice career. And it was sort of interesting that decades later, I wound up meeting her and I thought she was the nicest person, one of the nicest people I've ever met. So I'm a big fan of Night of the Comet, number eight. Number seven, I put this on my list because it is an end of the world movie and I love it. Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 78, the Philip Corbin version starring Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Lennon Nimoy, and Jeff Goldblum. This movie is is what you call bleak, it's powerful, it's thought-provoking, you're completely hooked. I love the score, I love the scope. Uh, it's all one of my easily one of my all-time favorite films. I think it's one of the best films of the 1970s. The original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I think it's a really good film. Uh, uh, the Body Snatchers, Philip, uh, 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 Abigail Ferreira, the director, uh, Abel Ferrer. I think it was an interesting movie. I'm a fan, actually, of Invasion with Nicole Kidman. I think that's underrated. Critics knock it, but I think it's very good. But the definitive story of this movie, uh, of this is Invasion of Body Snatchers 70, Philip Corbin's version. I love the film. Great movie. My number seven. My number six, You went, I know you like Die and Legend. I like that, too. But the one movie I loved as a kid was uh, the Omega Man from 71 with Charlton Heston, who played the character of Robin Nelville. They twist the novel a little where the vampires are more mutants. Anthony Zerb is an awesome villain in Matthias. Charlton Heston was still an A-lister. His screen presence is iconic. It has one of the most interesting musical scores I've ever seen in a genre movie by a guy named Ron Granger. I actually bought that soundtrack. I used to play it in my car when I used to drive all the time. Uh, Last Man on Earth, Charlton Heston, uh, 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 Roslyn Cash is a female lead. She's super cool. In 71, their interracial kiss was considered controversial. Uh, so be it. But I love the Omega Man. So uh, that's my 10 through 6. Yeah, and I actually read that book when I was in high school. And I have to say one thing, and that's back to your Catherine Mary Stewart comments. Sure. that. You know, yeah, she she's actually, I absolutely agree that she's a wonderful person. You know, I was the one that was helping you lead the tour when we first, first time she came to the theater. And I'm thinking, oh, God, she's going to see how messy this place is and leave. And I could never believe just how supportive she was of it. So for you know people that uh, aren't familiar with her career, Night of the Comet, The Last Starfighter, Weekend at Bernie's. Go, go see some of her movies. Go, go, go I'll, tell, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you another quick. I'll tell you another quick story. When I had her back for the fourth time, and I plan to get her back again, but COVID derailed the last few years. When she came for the fourth time, right? She was like, she came. She had friends come. It was like meeting an old friend. She came to my ice cream parlor, and we have a, a bunch of video games, and we were playing Pong. Uh, and then she said, let's get a slice of pizza. Went to the pizzeria down the block. Like she couldn't be a cooler person. Uh, and I, I'm glad you pointed it out. She really, and I don't say, we're not just saying that to blow smoke. She really was, a, she really is a good person. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. My number five, and sometimes we actually survive the end of the world. We survive Armageddon. We have to rebuild. And so I'm going to go to 1996, Will Smith again, Bill Pullman, 
Jeff Goldblum, Judd Hirsch, uh, Robert Loja, even Independence Day. Listen, uh, I didn't put on my list because I, it's just outside my realm of, of a true end of the world movie, but it's a great pick. I still say, and Mike would agree, beside Jurassic Park as a blockbuster in a movie theater, as a great experience in my lifetime, seeing Independence Day also at the Ziegfeld Theater in New York City was an awesome experience. Roland Emmerich, who stretched the rubber band way too, way, way too, way too much, and it's broke in his career. For whatever reason, he just had the right tone. He had the right cast. He hit a home run, and everything about this movie is pure entertainment. I gotta tell you, the scene, which is sort of works almost like a, a, a semi-intermission, because they did three acts in that movie. When the dog went in the tunnel, and Vivica Fox is calling a dog, and he's jumping off car to car, and the fireball uh, comes in, the dog just beats it, and it gets, in, gets into the tunnel, and she closes the thing, and then the screen goes black. That's a pretty cathartic experience in a movie theater sitting with hundreds of people. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan, Ken. Yeah, and I, I have to say the one the one common theme for me between Independence Day and Jurassic Park is Jeff Goldblum. He's had one of the listen. You know, you look at his look at that 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 run he had in that period. Uh, very few had it better uh, doing those two massive popcorn hits uh, that pub, the public loved my number five this is a movie that uh believe it or not i didn't see in a movie theater i don't know why in 97 but this movie's grown on me i watch it at least two or three times a year i'm a big fan because i've grown to really dig tia leone deep impact uh came out the same year as armageddon mimi ledger is a who directed it female director did a great job she did a lot of work directing uh er Right? And some of the cast members in Deep Impact were uh, in, in, in ER. But this is a movie about a comet. It's a good script, really good script. It's thought-provoking. Morgan Freeman's awesome as the president. She's a terrific lead. Uh, Elijah Wood is really good. Lily uh, Lebusky, who is the sister of, of Helen Hunt, she's super good in this movie. The last act of this movie where they put the, the budget into the effects, because it's mostly story-driven, the, the effects are really good. And I got to tell you, Ken, there's a scene on the beach with Tia Leone and her father in the movie, played by Maximilian Schell, that when the wave comes and she says goodbye to him and how much she loves him, is so powerful emotionally. That's what that's what Mimi Ledger as a director got right. That's why this movie, Deep Impact, I think, has held up beautifully generationally, and it plays just as well now, even if not better than in 1997. So my number five is Deep Impact. Yeah, and I actually just tried to avoid repeating ones that I had done before. But as I said before about it, I still wonder as that wave is coming and she had given up her seat on the helicopter yeah. for her father. Yeah. She goes. Oh darn! Why did I do this? But maybe not. Yeah, I mean, I think as an I think as an audience, you're saying that. But boy, is that powerful! He it, was really good in that movie, Maximilian Shell, as a father, and their their chemistry as father and daughter is quite good. Yes, absolutely. Okay, now this one, you grew up in New York, and in every movie about nuclear Armageddon, New York is always going to be a prime target. For those of us who spent time living in the Midwest, and I spent seven years in South Bend, it was always, well, we're going to get the fallout because, you know, they're not going to launch a missile at, at uh, you know, Evansville or uh, Goshen, Indiana. 
But in 1983, there was a television show on ABC where it was a nuclear holocaust, but set in Kansas, uh, which brought it home to a lot of people who always thought of the nuclear holocaust of something that, you know, the, the big cities would get hit. Jason Robards, Joe Beth Williams, Steve Gutenberg called The Day After. It was on ABC. Um, people, people talked about it for weeks because it was very realistic. It was realistic about the nuclear shadow when people get vaporized and just leave a shadow on a structure. I still remember the couple, the, the kids are watching television. They're happy. They go upstairs to spend some time together because they know the world's ending. It's just it's the realistic thing of what happens in middle America when there's a nuclear holocaust. So the day after from ABC. Listen, it's a great piece. Today. I didn't put on my top 10 because I, I spoke about this recently and I don't want to talk about it too much, but I will talk. Here's what I love about this movie, this, 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 this two hour ABC movie, which got a huge rating that night. One, it starred Jason Robards. Now here's what's cool about that. There was a time where you could cast an actor at this, who he had to be over 60. And he was awesome in this movie. And what I loved about this film and why it has immense power is because it dealt with the concept of nuclear fallout, where you see Jason Robards when the when the bomb when the nuclear bomb goes off, you see that initial blast, and he's in his car and he ducks down, right? And he seems okay, and he's walking walking around doing doing his thing, trying to find his loved ones. And he, he's he, I believe he's a doctor, right? So he goes to the hospital. As the movie goes on, you see him, what the effects of nuclear fallout do. He's losing his hair, he's becoming ill, and you're watching it and you, you're, you're horrified because one, he's such a connectable actor and he's so good in this, anything he does, Jason Robots, but the slow burn of the effects of what has happened is quite powerful and it's a very bleak it's a very bleak movie with powerful stuff john lithgow's also in it uh steve guttenberg is is in it has a really good cast there's one scene in this movie where uh you see a character that's killed uh because he goes on somebody else's property uh and which deals with, with the psychology of fear uh in such a situation but that is what you call that is a landmark movie that uh, that is excellent. I think you can go on YouTube and watch it. It's currently I know they put it on Blu-ray a few years ago, but the day after, uh, well, not eighty-three. You said eighty-three. Yeah, what a great piece of television. Good pick. My number four. I also went with television, uh, and I went with the original miniseries of Stand from uh, nineteen ninety-four. Stephen King, uh, directed by Mick Garris. Uh, aired four consecutive nights. Gary Sinise, uh, Stu Redman. This is a movie about a virus that uh, starts to eradicate uh, mankind and it has a religious subtext uh, through the character of Mother Abigail, played by Ruby Dee, who is never better. But Gary Sinise, Ruby Dee, Rob Lowe, who is awesome, playing uh, a, 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 a deaf person. Molly Ringwald, this movie had, and I almost forgot Jerry Sheridan as Randall Flagg, the 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 villain in in this piece. This is a very thought provoking piece of material that uh, has bleakness. It has it has powerful moments. 
uh, it's just an awesome, perfect piece of television. One of my all-time fa- favorite miniseries of, of all time, originally had in 1994. They remade it a few years ago for Paramount Plus. Has some merit, not quite as good as the original, but I love the stand from uh, 94, Ken. My all number four. Right. All right, my number three. Think of the irony. A world destroyed by runaway consumerism brought to you by Disney. And that's Wall-E from 2008. I had to do that because my grandson, Walden, is named after Wally. Tell me, first of all, tell me why you like it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go against the grain here because this was the first, this actually was the first movie I ever took my kid to when she was a couple years old. I, maybe she was three. Uh, and and uh, I, I, it didn't work for me. I know people rave about it and love it and the message is good. But yeah, tell me why you well, like it's, it. First of all, you've got a love story there. You've got a, uh, the, 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 uh, the downcast person trying to work hard, make himself better. And it was just something different. I mean, to, for me, that's that's it. But I want to hear why you don't like it. Um, you want to know my honest opinion? Yeah. It, it didn't hold my interest. I, I can't explain it. I sat there. I found it boring. Okay. And I, know, I know sometimes that happens. You, you know, some people are in the minority. I'm certainly, I was just in the minority. I just never got into uh I never got into Wally. Having said that, the next movie I took my daughter to was The Hulk, and uh, and 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 uh, where Eric Banner is the Hulk, Ang Lee's movie. And my daughter, who was like three, stood up on the chair and yelled, "Hulk smash!" That was a good childhood. That was a good childhood memory, actually. So my number three, uh, I was like, ah, "Do I put it on the end of the world movies?" I said, "Yeah," because honestly, it's one of my favorite childhood movies. There's no rhyme or reason for what happens in the film, and that's Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. I've done a few revivals of this movie on the big screen, and my this movie's awesome. The scene in the diner when the birds attack landfall, and uh, the, 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 um, she's in the, she's in the phone booth, and the birds are are, are, atta- are attack, uh, attacking her. Uh, it's just an awesome choreographed uh, sequence. Rod Taylor. I, I, I loved him in this movie. It was a really good lead. They don't explain why the birds attack or why the world's imploding, but uh, it's just an effective thriller that I think is extremely well done. My favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie, The Birds, my number three from 1963. My number two. Now you said we could do television, but we're a radio yes, show. Because I number uh, TV. No, the TV's on my number well, two. Well, yeah, but yeah. We're, we're also a radio show, so I'm doing radio, although it's been redone as a movie right, several times. I know what you're gonna. 1938, H.G. Wells, War of the Worlds. It is by far the most important end of the world entertainment ever because people thought it was real. Tell me, go ahead, refresh the audience's uh, mind in history. What happened that it, night? It was, it was a Sunday night, I believe. It was um, either Halloween or the night before. And they did the broadcast of the War of the Worlds as if it was an actual radio broadcast. And this is when radio was the main source of entertainment. And so people hear this, which is done as a news break in as a bulletin. People actually think that a town in New Jersey, of all places, is under attack by Martians. Now, was there disclaimers before I went on the air, yes or no? I don't think there were. So they, were they trying to fool the audience into believing it was real? Uh, they were trying to make it dramatic. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it I think so. Worked. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's and, and, uh, obvious. Obviously, that was a landmark broadcast. It, it created a lot of uh, 
uh, controversy. I'm assuming the FCC got involved to some extent uh, in the aftermath. Oh, pro- probably not then. That would probably be about 20 years later until the FCC okay. got power. But, uh, you know, most recently remade, I think, with uh, what's his name? Tom uh, Cruise, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, uh, Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds, it's, the movie has a lot of merit. I just think it shifts tones and there's the sequence with Tim Robbins and, and Tom Cruise in the basement takes that movie in a completely different direction from where it started. I, I like it. I just don't love it. And it has one of the worst endings of a Spielberg movie sort of ends on a thought that that movie I think was released in 2005, but you, you're, I, I'm glad you pointed out the, 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 that the radio show, cause that is interesting history. No doubt. My number two, I went TV and I went with the walking dead because it is my all time favorite end of the world. Zombie TV show, the pilot originally, in 2010 great pilot first season was written and directed by frank darabont had a different feel awesome tv uh uh he left due to creative reasons and, and financial uh, uh uh difficulties uh and robert kirkman took it over i think he did a great job too i think the first five or six seasons of the show is iconic has a few hiccups uh, i i think that the season uh well, Terminus is my personal favorite. It's had some great villains. The governor, J- uh, Jared, was a very interesting villain at Terminus. Uh, Negan, obviously. The Whisperers, I think, were great villains. I thought the Whisperer season, without Andrew Lincoln's or Crimes, actually was great. Uh, it ended well. What, their last season wasn't great, but it still was good. Overall, I think the show is iconic. I think Andrew Lincoln's or Crimes is maybe the best TV character in my lifetime for me. Uh, I think the work and dedication went into that show with Greg Nicotero doing the makeup and the zombie work was tremendous. Uh, I, I just love it. And I think generationally, this movie, this show will be watched generationally and adored for the most part. Uh, great piece of television and a great achievement. Walking Dead from 2010 to 2022 and currently be streamed on uh Netflix can, so that's okay. my number two. I, I I don't want you to tell me your number one because I'll do mine first, but is your number one a movie or TV? It's 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 a movie, but it's not going to be yours. Okay, but so I'm gonna, I want to say, I, I'm one that I want to mention before I do mine, yeah. and that yeah. is Twilight Zone, the bookworm episode, The World Ends, he's, yeah, he's all by himself. Uh, Meredith. Yeah, Burgess yeah. Meredith can finally spend all his time reading and he breaks his glasses. I think it was called No Time at, no, no time at Last. Yep. Uh, it, uh, heartbreaking, powerful piece of television. And I tell you, when we're doing this, there's another Twilight Zone episode popped in my head. I don't recall the title, but it was an episode, one of my favorites, where, uh, where the sun is getting closer to the earth well the earth's orbit spinning closer to the sun and the temperatures are getting hotter and hotter and and the, and the world and the culture is completely breaking down and then at the end the twist in the episode is that the main character wakes up after going into a fever dream from being too hot and there's a doctor in the apartment and what's happening is the world is actually the orbit the earth is orbiting away from the sun right and and, this, and the planet is becoming too cold. I mean, this thing, I, when you, even when I say it, I want to watch it. That's how <laughs> thought-provoking Rod Serling's work was on, on that show. But yeah, the Twilight Zone delved into this, uh, this subject of end of the world many a time. Okay, I'll be quick because we're running out of time. But 1959, I read the book. I, I've seen the movie. There was a remake of the movie. Uh, Stanley Kramer was the director. Gregory Peck, Ava Gardner, Phil, Fred Astaire. Do you oh, know this one? On the beach. And the reason for this is because it's the one movie that treats 
a nuclear Armageddon the way it would really happen. And that is if you live in the northern hemisphere, you're going to be wiped out immediately. You live in the yeah. southern, southern hemisphere, you wait for it to reach you. If you've never seen the movie or read the book, I highly recommend it. Yes, very good movie. Uh, and also deals with the psychology of knowing something very bleak will happen and having the ability or the understanding to try to deal with that harsh reality. Good pick. My number one, real quick, we're running out of time, is, is George A. Romero goes into uh, to the Hall of Fame of horror and bleakness. To one of the dead from 78, to me, I've talked about this many times in this program, is one of the, it is for me the greatest end of the world movie ever, simply because it's thought-provoking, it's complex, and in my opinion, it's the most interesting movie I've ever seen in my life I just it just something special about it the fact that they shot it for like a million dollars at the Monroeville Mall in, in, in Pennsylvania uh, with an unknown cast a lot of imagination a lot of thought provoking ideas I still think it's a great watch Dawn of the Dead uh, 70 would be my uh, number one great list as always Chuck and to the audience uh, again thanks for listening uh, we appreciate it and to you Ken thank you very much we'll see you guys next week okay thanks Chuck Thanks for listening to Movie Maniacs. Download one of our archived episodes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts by Federated Media.